0: For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. For all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It's from Roman 8.
1: Real barn burner there I chose. I... <laughs> so this month we're spending... Uh, some time to talk about this thing, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, um, an examination of what I've come to realize in my own preparation for this talk is a very confusing thing. You know, if you sit me down and ask me about God or about Jesus, I um, wouldn't have much of a hard time giving you a lot of things that I think, Uh, but if you ask me about the Holy Spirit, I probably would be like, so uh, what do do you think would be my answer, Uh, which is always a good tactic when you don't know what to say. And so, in reading a passage like this, or hearing a passage like this, with this constant reference to spirit, spirit this and spirit that, I kept asking myself, what does Paul mean, who uh, wrote this letter to the Romans, mean by spirit? How does this spirit that he's talking about actually work? What does it look like? What does it feel like? I was reading an essay the other day on like, different biblical interpretations, and the author of this essay kept saying stuff like, the Spirit inspires the writers, or the Spirit guides the writers, or the Spirit uh, helps the community interpret these readings. And I kept asking myself the same thing. Uh, what does this person mean by spirits? How does this spirit do these things? What does it look like? What does it feel like? So before I jump into trying to answer some of those questions, I want to have a little bit of a pre-discussion uh, and ask all of you, when you hear a passage like this, or you just hear this term spirit being used, in a church or in a religious context what does that make you think what kind of questions does that bring in you and it could be very simple as like i have no idea what the hell this person is talking about or whatever it may be but yeah I'm very you can very honestly have whatever questions you have let me let's hear them
2: i, mean, I just thought it was the- Trying to get as close to a dichotomy as you could, like this or this. And mm. just using it in a very general sense. Okay. Ari told me
1: to stop apologizing for talking too much, and no, I'm gonna apologize <laughs> Pseudo
2: apologia. <laughs> um, I kind of think of like Plato's forms, uh, where it's this idea that there's like a perfect, there's like perfection. There's like Sorry, I'm uh, going too far. Uh, where like we, we know values exist and they exist in a pure form, but we never can quite like really see them in this life. Mm. Um, and I think of the spirit as kind of that thing that connects like the flesh to uh, like uh, the the perfect form of God, where it's like us experiencing God in the world. Um, and what we experience makes us think that there is
1: that perfection somewhere, but it's also able to dwell in the world in a certain way. Mm. That makes sense to me. Uh, I had this whole thing about that, but I edited it out. I should have left it in for you, guys. <laughs> Anybody else? No questions here means you guys all know <laughs> what spirit is very well. Yeah. Sorry.
0: a lot of us, you know, are modern, science-leaning people, and we're matter, and we're made of you know, molecules, and what does that really mean? Is there a part of us that's separate from what we are, that like, when your body dies, like, do you continue? It's like that, part of that question, is
2: there something separate?
1: Mm-hmm. Sorry.
2: I I often think of the Christian mystics. Uh, I feel like they one theme that resounds throughout any mystic is this theme of spirit. And Christian mystics tend to talk about the Holy Spirit, um, but they when they talk about it, it begins to sound very Buddhist. And then if you look at mystic traditions of any religion, they all sort of They all sound really similar. It's true. Um, So, I don't know. I don't have a concluding thought on that. Yeah. I will say that I like it, and I like Christian
1: Mystics. If you uh, read the email this week, um, I did put a poem in there by Hildegard of Bingham. Is that right?
2: Bingham.
1: Bingham, who was a Christian Mystic, and she was also like, they they say she's like the founder of medicinal science in Germany or something so you guys can, it's a really cool poem about the Holy Spirit if you want to go read it. Did you have one? Yeah. one I also, in terms of like your
2: opening line where you're like, I don't know what to say. If someone asks me about it, I'm like, I don't know, you tell me. And I think that's like what the
1: Holy Spirit should do, like it should be disarming where it's like, oh, it like takes away all your authority where you're like, oh shit, who knows? <laughs> so I um, so I think, yeah, he, uh, sounds like well, number one a consensus is hard to come by that's true and number two it means all these different things i think part of the confusion uh stems from the idea that the spirit is kind of an old word right it's like soul and spirit were used a lot back in the day when these things were being written they meant something certain for people and so for us like dorian is kind of saying like these are words that don't have the same kind of resonance with us anymore the same sort of meaning and people have recognized this issue um they recognize that, these, that words often in one context don't carry over very well. And so you, know, you could think of culturally specific influence that gender are terms for God, such that we have a Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, I've found in some of my readings different ways that people have tried to frame this vocabulary, right? Creator, the redeemer, the sustainer is one, the source, wellspring, living water was another, um, mother, child, and womb. And uh, my least favorite one here, rock, redeemer, friend. Yes. I do not think that was that good. But uh, reframing these, these vocabularies, is that helpful for us? Is, is a question I think we need to ask ourselves. Does it clarify the idea of spirit for us to think of it as a source or a living water or a womb or friend? Um, if we, I'm going to rewrote something Paul said in Romans 8 using one of these words. just want you to hear what it sounds like. The sustainer helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very sustainer intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the sustainer, because the sustainer intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Not quite as poetic, uh, perhaps, but maybe useful. The other part is that I think the word spirit is inevitably wrapped up in the idea of sort of a spirit world or a world of things unseen, right? And which is the world I grew up in, as many of you know, the Pentecostal world, the so-called charismatic world, strands of Christianity, uh, where the Holy Spirit is really like a Holy Ghost. And uh, it's an entity we sort of call upon, that we ask to come, and appears in crazy ways. Uh, Speaking in tongues is like the most famous one, obviously. I think the second most famous one is probably being slain by the spirit—if you, you guys know what that is—when like you pray and someone like falls down, um, that's happened to me many times. Uh, there's stuff like holy laughing. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but sometimes people would just—they like become like the Joker or something and just start laughing. Prophecy is another one, and then uh, one that was very controversial in my time in this world was holy barking. People like would have fights about whether or not that was like a demon or a god. Um, so anyway. If you have any more, if you want, you can ask me some other time and I'll share, you, share with you all sorts of um, bizarre things. And of course, a spirit world also means that there's Holy Spirit and then there's like demons and stuff and they're like psh, psh, all the time, right? So there's that, which I think clouds our ability to think of spirit in a way that we're not like, oh, that's really weird. And so taking those things into consideration, I can offer you at least at first a very, very boring answer as to what I think spirit might be, which is, that spirit is nothing more than an old term uh, used for the way in which a community takes teachings or doctrines or stories and testimonies and passes them down to future generations, right? It's the most basic sense of uh, like a grandma being like, don't forget what I've taught you. Don't forget what I've shown you. Tell your children. Make sure that they tell their children. The spirit in this way is just sort of that very basic thing, um, and when we say the Spirit continues to inspire, and teach, and speak, that's sort of what one person might be talking about. There's no hidden world here, no mysterious force. Uh, when Paul says, set your mind on the f- to set mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace, he means something like uh, we ought to just be mindful and remember this teaching we have of Christ's grace that's given to us. Remember that as you live. It's not anything weird. Can that, be, can that be it? Uh, not only to me is that interpretation rather boring, it also, I think, misses a whole lot. It doesn't make quite sense. Right? If we take a look at the word spirit as it's used today, Neil talked about this a little bit last week when he was talking about team spirit. Uh, we see that spirit has to do with something that's like activating. It has to do with a force that moves us, right? It's not like, hey, remember that a penny saved is a penny earned. Like, that's the way you just carry that on. It's more like, again with team spirit or having a quote-unquote spirited conversation uh, it has this animating power behind it. Spirit is uh, in a sense about taking something we already have and uniting it with passion, with excitement, a sense of collectiveness. Also if you look at the way that, we, that the Bible talks about spirit, um, it's not easy to cram spirit into a very boring interpretation when you have stuff like Being taken up by the Spirit, or breathing the Spirit in, or being possessed by the Spirit. These aren't words that are boring words. They are very physical and passionate and sometimes violent words, right? Paul says that the Spirit dwells in us in this passage. That God praying, you know, he says, The Spirit prays through us. We don't know what to pray. It's like God is in us praying to God as God hears the prayer that God is praying through us. Like it's a very confusing thing, but uh, again, there's a dimension to Spirit in this way um, that we have to take seriously. So I want to say that Spirit is actually all these things. I think it is something like teachings that get passed down, the way that we communicate in a community to each other. I think it has something to do with animation and force and passion. I think it has something to do with Something that possesses us or takes a hold of us, that grips us, takes us to places we may not go otherwise. So having said all that, I'm just going to kind of tell a story that I'm hoping will make sense of all all these words. So I've always loved to dance. Which, I I don't know if that's surprising to you, but I've always loved to dance. And when I was a younger kid, I forced my family to watch me uh, impersonate Michael Jackson. Of which, his crotch grab was my favorite thing to do. Uh, (laughs) That says something about me. There's like um, a really grainy home video that that I've seen before. Where we're hanging out with my family and there's like some strangers as well. I think they're maybe aunts or cousins or something. And my mom's like, hey, do that Michael Jackson dance that you always do. And I'm too shy to do it, so I keep going and like hiding behind her and she's like, keeps prodding me to do it. Um, I can't remember if I actually eventually do it, I probably do. Uh, When I was in middle school, K-pop became big. Not the way that is now, like white people are trying to act like they like K-pop now, but K-pop became big for Koreans in general. And there were these boy bands that I used to love so much that danced really well, right? We, like sync. Backstreet Boys, like they have nothing on these guys, right? These guys were like amazing dancers. And me and my church Korean friends would get together and put tapes in of these people and try to imitate them. Um, and that, through that I learned how to like pop and lock and do the robot and make my hair really cool and stuff. Uh, and then one day that sort of dreaming innocence of my dancing self died. And it was stripped away by, you know, teenage shame puberty uh and all the high school dances i went to were spent i'm sure many of you have this experience just kind of standing around uh scared making fun of the few people who did dare to dance only dancing when the slow dances came on because nothing was going to stop me from doing that but uh dancing was dead dancing was dead in my life dancing i think is one of those things that we all i think we all kind of have an innate desire to move our bodies when we're excited or feel a rhythm but it's like the most embarrassing thing as well and so my dance moves lay dormant for many many years like a beast uh, longing to be free inside of me but but caged in by my uh, inhibitions my my fear of my self-image and so I finally came upon this place the University of Chicago Divinity School and I found a book called The Theology of Getting Over Yourself That's not true, I didn't find a book. That's supposed to be a joke, it didn't land, I apologize. Um, That's a book I have to write. So instead of finding a book, I actually came upon a man. His name was Neil Ellingson. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen Neil dance before. And I say this with like utmost love and respect because I think you're a great dancer, but the only way to describe Neil's dancing is uh, he looks like a broken chicken robot. Like, a, like if you had like a cyborg chicken and you try to make it dance, right? It's very herky-jerky, there's a lot of elbows going out, a lot happening in the neck, head area. Um, Neil and his roommate at the time, this guy named Josh, a great guy, they threw a party our first year at school. And it was a dance party, a first year dance party at grad school. It was actually the first house dance party I've ever been to. One of the reasons why I think the dancing in me died when I was younger was because it, in reflection, none of my friends in LA danced. We never had dance parties. We never went to places where we danced. Even now I'll go back and I'll be like, yeah, let's dance and like no one wants to do it, right? There just wasn't a dancing community for some reason. So I wasn't, it, it wasn't brought out of me in that ways, right? So I, I actually don't really know what we did when we would go out uh, if you don't dance, but so I go to this dance party at Neil's. It's all these uh, like nerdy white grad students, right? Um, so I, immediately I feel like pretty cool. I feel pretty cool. And I'm trying to find my footing there. I'm, you know, it's, again, it's the first year. People are still trying to get comfortable. I try to drink enough to not feel so anxious. I start watching people dancing out there, right? And it's quite a sight to behold. People doing things I've never seen. With my, with my own eyes. It's very strange, it's very awkward. Um, and I start looking at people and I start trying to pick up things I could imitate, that I like, right? I'm like, okay, that dude's got a cool leg thing. I can do that. And then I see someone else with like an interesting arm situation. I'm like, oh, that's what you do with your arms. I can, I can do that. I'm sort of like, uh, like if the Terminator came back and he went to a dance party. He's <laughs> like a cyborg just sort of watching It's my neural net processors like learning dance moves. And finally this girl at the party, her name was Annie. Um, Just like for some reason very friendly, nice person. Started talking and she's like, let's go dance. The time had come for me to to do my thing. And Annie and I actually would go on to be friends for a couple years, Uh, she's since moved. Uh, And we've had a lot of dance parties together. And she would never have suspected that that was for me the first time. She probably thinks that I've just been dancing for years because I killed it that night. (laughs) Um, You know, dancing has this, like, amazing property. If you guys are into dancing or have done it before and like to do it frequently, right, it has this ability to, um, when everyone gets into it, you become, like, a, a singular collective mass, right, and... Uh, all these moving things pulsating in in rhythm together and all the very distinct sensory data that we're that we have which is like the music and your own sense of the body and the body next to you and the body in front of you and the body behind you and The inevitable strange smells that arise in a very tight dance floor. They become fused together in this way that like subject object dynamic all this kind of stuff is obliterated into this beautiful ecstasy, right? As we reach a sort of transcendence, one definition of ecstasy that I like is, it's the spirit, small, small s spirit, being grasped by spirit, capital S spirit, that our spirit is somehow grasped by a bigger spirit. And we experience this union. Um, the night ended, I went home, I sat, <laughs> I sat in my tub, And the shower was done, and I threw up. (laughs) So I don't want to sit here and, like, exegete my own story that I just told, but I hope that there is something illustrative here about, uh, and, you know, again, it's a flawed metaphor, as most metaphors are, but how we think about this spirit work, right, that it is something, I think, that is with us on the ground level, Um, something that is, I think, passed down to us in a sense, that we learn from other people about. That we become vessels of spirit for other people who see it in us and find it themselves, right? Uh, And participate in it with us. How a community is necessary for spirit to be tapped into. That the community itself is not driving towards that spirit together. uh, You can miss out on it. That spirit is animating again. It's passionate. it's, um, It's bodily. It's visceral. It's within our control and somehow beyond our control. That it takes us to places that... Uh, we didn't know we could go. And sometimes you may throw up at the end of that, such an encounter. I want to ask uh, all of us here to share together in this space right now. Um, you could sort of say something generally. One question I had for myself was like, okay, this definition or this idea of spirit that I'm, I'm trying to develop here, how does it relate to what? Paul wrote in Romans? Does it relate to what Paul wrote in Romans? So that's one question you might want to think about. But the other thing I would also ask is for us to share, if you have uh, something like this, a story that embodies this kind of like transcended ecstatic experience, right? I think it happens a lot. I had two examples I wanted to use. I chose a dancing one, but I was gonna talk about a Radiohead concert I went to. I think things like that happen with us all the time. Uh, they happen in intimate relationships sometimes. The sexual experience is often described as ecstatic. If you wanna share a sexual experience here, you can. Uh, but yeah, does anybody have stories like that they might wanna share or whatever?